30 separate times, about every 10 weeks on this podcast over six years, I picked five stocks. I chose a theme that made sense to me at the time, sometimes sublime, sometimes this week included silly. And then I thought to myself, what are the five best recommendations that I can come up with for stocks that fit that theme? Aiming, of course, always to beat the market, the S&P 500, because otherwise, why are we bothering? Then one year later, we review the picks. And then another year passes, the two-year review, two years later. We never forget. We hope you wouldn't also. We score everything transparently and accountably because we're fools. And you should expect that of us. And I would say, expect that of yourself too. Well, then comes the three-year review, which is going to be the most telling. And well, why is that? First, because three years have passed since I picked those five stocks. We really can be smarter about what has happened and why and what we can learn with the greater passage of time. That's the smarter part. But if I've done my job well, then we'll also be happier and we hope richer too. Now that three-year review, and we have one of those this week, is also important because most of the time we end the game right there. We're going to keep holding those stocks in real life, mind you. You should too if you own them. But if I kept reviewing all 30 of my samplers in years four, five, and six, well, we wouldn't have time to do much else on this podcast. 30 separate times I picked five stocks, what I've also called my five stock samplers. And we're going to review two of those samplers this week. Five stocks rolled up at random and five stocks that spark joy. Review them we will with my two guest star analysts, Sanmit Theo and Asit Sharma. Does rolling up random stocks work? Does picking stocks that spark joy, does that work? Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm excited this week to be reviewing how our five stock samplers have done. It's a funny discipline. Being a stock picker, you would know this too. I hope, dear listener, many of us do at The Motley Fool. I'm a big sports fan. When something amazing happens in sports, the feedback is instant. The crowd stands up and cheers. The athlete usually gets to do a dance these days, depending on what sport we're talking about. Everybody celebrates. It's all over the news that night. Highlights, final score. We all know it. What you and I do fellow listener, as investors, is the exact opposite. We take actions that we hope will win, that we think are exciting, but we don't know five seconds later if it worked. We don't know a day later. We don't usually know a year or two or three later if we did it right. Did it work? But when it does work, I do like to celebrate it because this is our moment. This is our time as non-athletes to do a little dance, to put some numbers up on the scoreboard years later, and maybe to cheer. As I mentioned at the top, we have two five-stock samplers to review, five stocks rolled up at random. That was picked two years ago in January of 2021. And five stocks that spark joy. The 23rd ever five-stock sampler of 30 and we will be sending five stocks that spark joy to Fulhalla at the end of this week's episode. Yep, Fulhalla, the Valhalla, where each of our sampler heroes 
whether hero or goat, proceeds. Full Hella, the honored hall, festive with mead. So five stocks that spark joy will arrive in Full Hella at the end of this podcast to join its brethren and sistren, the 22 that have already gone before. Speaking of before, a couple of quick notes before we get started. The first is a reminder about why we do this. And I feel like I say this most of our review of Paloozas, so long-time listeners will have heard me say this before, but I think it's really important to score ourselves. Not just in investing, but in lots of other things in life. These days, well, I already confess my love of the Hydrate Spark Pro smart water bottle in recent months. These days, I'm regularly scoring how much I'm hydrating from one day to the next. And I'm also regularly scoring, I wear my Apple Watch to sleep every night. I score my sleep. I get a three-digit number the next morning from my Sleep Watch app. I think it's helpful to score because if you don't score, you're not really sure if you're doing it right. You're not sure when you're winning and when you're losing. Now, do we need to be scoring everything? Certainly not. There are many things, many aspects, I think, of our day-to-day life that probably should never be scored. But I think investing is one of those things that should be scored. After all, as a fellow fool, you and I are buying stock directly in companies. I realize a lot of us may have funds, various forms of diversification, but at least for me, anytime I pick an individual stock, I feel like I'm giving the cold shoulder talk to the hand, I'm saying, to the market at large, because I'm choosing not simply to buy an index fund. I'm choosing a company because I think it's going to outperform the index funds. I think I'm going to do better, and I believe that my public record and my own private record shows that over 30 plus years, I've done way, way better than if I had just bought index funds or diversified basket. Now, I realize many people will just do that. In fact, many fellow fools hearing me now probably are doing some version of that, and I'm fine with that. When Tom and I wrote The Motley Fool Investment Guide, the first edition, which came out in 1996, we started by saying everybody could just go with Jack Bogle and buy the Vanguard Diversified Index Fund, whether the Total Market Index Fund, which certainly still exists today, or the S&P 500 Index Fund. Those are massive, massive pools of money today, decades later. And we're huge fans of those. For a lot of us, mailing it in and just doing that, saving money, which is the important thing, and investing in every two weeks, that will lead to financial freedom. And we are huge fans of that approach. The patience, the resilience, the persistence through good markets and bad to keep saving and keep investing. And yet, where Jack Bogle, and he's certainly a past guest on this podcast, where Jack Bogle and I anyway, I think Tom would agree with him as well, where we part ways is we really do believe that you can and should buy stock directly in great companies. Skip the bad ones. Skip the mediocre ones. Focus on greatness. And we believe, and again, I think my public record shows, that you will outperform the indices, especially if you invest capital F foolishly, which means to use time and patience on your side. So scoring is the only way we can really know whether it's working or not. And so scoring is exactly what we're doing this week on this podcast as we look back at these two five-stock samplers. In fact, I tweeted out today a line from Roz Brewer. Roz Brewer, who I believe is today the CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance. Walgreens, I think she's the highest paid female executive in America, but I was quoting her a few years ago on this podcast in a Great Quotes podcast. This quote popped up. Roz Brewer said, you can and should set your own limits 
and clearly articulate them. This takes courage, she went on, but it also is liberating and empowering and often earns you new respect. And quote, you can and should set your own limits and clearly articulate them. And I think that's exactly what we're doing when we're scoring ourselves in this podcast anyway, in public. Setting your own limits, clearly articulating them will make you a much better investor over time in the wins and the losses. And we have both of those to share with you this week. And indeed, before we get started, I want to mention next week, of course, your Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag, our email address, rbi at fool.com. Do you have a question, a thought, a reaction? We started the year with old, new, borrowed, and blue. And last week, a bunch of stock stories for you. And of course, some reflections and thoughts about five stock samplers and the stocks therein. Do you have any questions about these companies? Any thoughts about anything that happened in Rule Breakerdom this month? RBI at fool.com. You can tweet us at RBI Podcast. All right. Well, it's time to strap in because whenever we do a review of Palooza, we're getting in the way back machine and it's time for a little bit of way back music, Rick Engdahl. Yep, here we go back in time. Where are we going to land? Ah, we've alighted on January 20th of the year 2021. So around two years ago this week, check it, the S&P 500 in these two years is up 3.8%. It used to be up a lot more um, some months ago, but it's now up 3.8% where it was two years ago. So we're going to be comparing all five of the stocks in five stocks rolled up at random to that 3.8% bogey. Now, here to join me as he did last year at this time, looking at these stocks, he's back. Sanmit Theo, how are you, sir? Hi, David. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing really well. I do see you've got your hook'em horns, burnt orange, University of Texas Longhorns hat on. I, I do note that your basketball team is higher ranked than my North Carolina Tar Heels right now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited, to, uh, excited for the season, see how they progress. And um, we'll see how long, uh, what kind of a run they make in the uh, tournament, if they make it yeah. there. And it does feel as if all of college basketball each year builds toward March Madness. I think the greatest event in sports, at least that's my take each year. Uh, but it's fun following these teams all the way through the regular season. I think you and I talk sports a little each time you come on, Sunmi. But I also wanted to ask you about ChatGPT, because I'm curious, have you used this yet? I know a lot of people will already be very familiar. A lot of our fellow rule breakers know this thing, but we also have a lot of listeners probably hearing that phrase for the first time. So it's, it's a popular example of an artificial intelligence chatbot. It is free to sign up for Sanmeet, have you signed up yet? I have not signed up, and I've been meaning to try it. Um, especially as a Google shareholder, I definitely want to keep track of what's happening with ChatGPT because there's the headlines of "Will ChatGPT kill Google?" and and you know that's maybe a little outlandish, but I've been itching to try. In fact, actually, I did go on the website once briefly with some friends, and it said that it was it was too busy, so we couldn't even get on. Yeah. And as somebody who's been trying to use it about each day or so for the last month, I will note that you can almost always get in if you keep refreshing over time. And yet, it seems to me about one in three or one in four times that I sign in, it's saying it's too busy. 
I think, Sanmeet, we can all guess that in time, this is not going to be a free experience anymore. It's going to be a premium experience, and maybe that will help give the servers a breather. Yeah, you know, I just saw a headline, I think it was this morning, about um, Microsoft, who has a big investment, is going to make a big investment in OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT, about charging for it. So definitely want to get, get in on that before they start charging. Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's it's a fascinating time. We're seeing certainly um, starting with a lot of the image, artificial intelligence, a lot of the type in a phrase and will give you original artwork, uh, which started, I think, last summer. And then I think ChatGPT really in earnest in the late autumn. I'm now also hearing about Microsoft. There's one that you speak into it with some audio clips and then it can take that voice and it could just make it say anything. There are some really interesting things happening, a little bit crazy sounding, and yet that's how so much of bleeding edge technology strikes us, uh, sounding crazy initially, but it's getting more and more de rigueur, we will see. Uh, let's move on to five stocks rolled up at random now. So, I mean, I'm not expecting you went back and listened to the original podcast at all, but do you remember how these stocks were picked? No, you know, I, I tried to focus on the past year, what's actually been happening, but um, they were just random, weren't they? Yeah. So basically, I I took all of the stock picks that I'd picked in Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, two of the Motley Fool's biggest services, and I just randomized from that roughly 300 or so stock total, 10 of them. And then I thought, well, of the 10, which are the five that I would favor? And that is five stocks rolled up at random. So not completely random, although randomizing from a large pool and then exerting a little choice to say, I think I'd pick this one over that one. And that's how we ended up with these five companies. I'll present them alphabetically first. And then Sunmeet lets you and I talk through them. The five companies rolled up at random two years ago this week. Apple, Atlassian Corp, Solar Edge Technologies, Starbucks, and last is indeed least. A lot of times you hear the phrase last but not least. Last is very much the least. Teladoc coming in at the letter T. So Apple, Atlassian, SolarEdge, Starbucks, and Teladoc. You know, I was checking back, Sanmeet. I could never have come up with this on my own, but I do use my Apple calendar to follow like what it was I doing on January 20th, 2021. I'd forgotten. It was inauguration day that day. So these stocks could have been Five stocks rolled up at inauguration because that's what was happening on that particular day. But let's start with, as we always do, the worst performer. So I've already, spoiler alert, spoiled that one. Teladoc was in fifth place when you and I reviewed this a year ago, Sanmeet, and Teladoc is very much even more in fifth place this year. The stock was at $246.74 two years ago when I picked it. Today is at $27.82. This stock is down 89%. One of the very, maybe the very worst stock pick I've ever made in a five stock sampler. Sami, what has been happening with Teladoc? Well, Dave, you know, Teladoc was a promising, you know, platform in the um, the pandemic era when we were all stuck at home. We couldn't go see our doctors or were too scared to maybe go see our doctors in person. Um, we wanted to stay safe. So, you know, their their telehealth platform gained a ton of prominence and users and um, almost looked like it was the next great thing in healthcare technology. And, you know, ever since that, um, 
you know, as, as, as we've seen with many technology companies since the pandemic, the, the big boom um, came down with a, with a big bust. And now we're sort of normalizing with some of the companies of who can survive and still continue to do well in a kind of a new normal and new, new operating environment. And there's just been a ton of uncertainty with this business. I mean, you know, they've had declining operating metrics over the past year with utilization visits, platform enabled sessions. They're, they're, it's a, they've been having quite a management guidance game where almost every quarter when it's the beginning of the year, they, they revise their 2022 outlook to reflect, you know, dynamics in the direct to consumer mental health and chronic condition markets, which are experiencing pressure from higher advertise, advertising costs and elongated sales cycles. Employers were delaying their decision-making to, because of macro uncertainty. And as we all know, recession and inflation have been the, the, the main concerns for, for any employer or consumer in, in this market. And, you know, they've just had issues with guidance. Guidance um, has been weak. That causes stocks to stock to come down. Um, they've had a heavy reliance on BetterHelp, which is their telehealth, mental health app, um, which is very popular and a great, great um, platform for people to you know, speak um, with therapists over, you know, message or video um, that grew very strongly during the um, pandemic, as one would imagine with so much, so many people sitting home and having too many thoughts. Um, and they have, it, it's that started to slow and it's, it's um, been, been, been an issue because they do rely on it heavily for growth and they just haven't been successful with acquisitions. They made a huge acquisition of Lavongo health, which was not favorably looked upon and they've made multiple write-offs from that acquisition. I think it's almost, overcome the amount of the acquisition cost. Um, and then also just the big elephant in the room with Amazon um, making moves, whether it be starting some service related to telehealth or closing it down and then starting something else. Um, they did partner with Amazon in about February of, of early part of the year to bring their virtual healthcare to Alexa. And, and then that caused speculation of Amazon buying Teladoc completely. So Lots of things going on in terms of, of, of their business. Revenue growth has slowed. Metrics, like I said, have been slowing. So a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, a lot of confusion whether this will be the next great healthcare platform that could really take off, or will it just be a dud? Well, Teladoc really is kind of the poster child for telehealth. I mean, the platform, as this company merged with another fellow rule breaker pick, Livongo, the market cap was up over $30 billion. Samit, I now see the market cap down closer to just $4 billion a couple years later. Anytime I see a company like this, Samit, that has lost so much value, and yet it's still in many ways kind of a leader at what it does, I start wondering about the balance sheet and some of the financial dynamics. Uh, because if a company has a fair amount of cash and maybe not much debt, or if it's operational cash flow positive, then one can see it clawing its way back. And sometimes you'd see a screaming buy for a company of this kind of magnitude, still $4 billion, down 90% from where it was. What do you see when you take a look at the balance sheet? And Sami, would you, would you buy Teladoc stock down here at about 27? Well, you know, the balance sheet does concern me. They have about a $1.5 billion in debt. Um, do have 900 million or so in cash. So that equates to about 600 plus million in net debt. Um, but they are not operating cash flow positive, especially when you take out the high stock compensation expense and they're not profitable. So there's just too much uncertainty, not enough balance sheet strength to really warrant me 
putting a position on in the stock. I hear you. And I'll say that I've been much more successful as an investor when I'm adding to what's winning than when I'm trying to be a hero in the face of utter implosion, which is kind of how Teladoc feels now to me two years later. So one can imagine this five-stock sampler probably not beating the market when one of the stocks is down 90% and the overall market's only up 4% or so from two years ago. Let's move from the big loser to the big winner. And well, it's not really even much of a winner, but Solar Edge Technologies, ticker symbol SEDG, Sunmeet. It was at 297 two years ago. It's 319 as we speak. It's up 7.5%. That puts it about four percentage points of alpha above and beyond the market average. One can imagine that's not nearly enough to tilt this one into the positive. But what's been going right for Solar Edge? Well, the, well, as opposed to Teladoc, SolarEdge seems to have a lot of broader trends that are working in its favor. It seems to be at the right place at the right time, even though the stock hasn't truly reflected the strength of his business. You know, they, they're seeing secular solar demand. There's a lot more favorable government policy towards clean energy in the United States and across the world. You know, there's, there's been the Russia-Ukraine war going on, and that's caused higher electricity rates. Um, but that actually has focused Europe, especially who's very reliant on on Russia for and Ukraine for um, you know energy. We've seen energy that. Demand. Mm-hmm. That's in, in a way it could be good because they're 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 rethinking how they source their energy, and that's caused a lot of strong demand for Solar Edge in in Europe from markets in Germany, UK, Netherlands. So that's definitely been favorable. U.S. solar growth is expected to slow in 2023, but that's uh, that should be supplanted, like I said, by the European demand. And they're also seeing um, Taiwan, Japan, and other Asian nations expected to accelerate their expansion of solar buildouts and use. You know, they've they've had revenue growing over 55 percent. On average, over the past four quarters, that's still strong. Wall Street has generally been bullish on the sector as well, with multiple upgrades, which has helped the stock kind of, kind of continue to to float up. And competitors have done well, which has also caused caused them to do well. So they're they're in a good good spot. Well, I certainly like the promise of solar energy. It, it's always felt to me as if looking backward from the future to today, everyone's going to be using the power of the sun for the most part, the most powerful thing in our solar system. To power things. Of course, there are the possibilities of things like nuclear fusion and other alternative sources of energy. It's not nearly mature enough yet to start to really meaningfully replace fossil fuels at huge scale. And yet, playing the trends and looking backward from the future, I really do like solar energy. So I'm glad to know that this company has. Well, I'm going to say tread water. I can't celebrate too much being four percentage points ahead of the market, Sanmeet, but given where the market's been and how bad Teladoc is, we'll take a win here. So that's our worst stock, Teladoc, and our best stock here is Solar Edge. The other three, let me know if you'd like to talk about any of these Apple, Atlassian, and Starbucks briefly to account for them. Apple up 3%, Starbucks up 2%. Atlassian down 34%. So really, we have three trickle upward stocks, Apple, SolarEdge, and Starbucks, none of which is up meaningfully. One huge loser, and then one significant loser, Atlassian, the Australian player, ticker symbol TEAM, has lost a third of its value over the last two years. Yeah, you know, one of the things I like um, investing in and enjoy analyzing is, um, you know, consumer-facing companies and the Peter Lynch philosophy of buy what you know. So, 
love to talk a little bit about Starbucks. We've actually had quite a bit and noteworthy um, a year in terms of lots of news going on. So they, in the early part of the 2022, I believe it was their first quarter, they recorded their first EPS miss in over five years. Um, you know, they're Earnings facing- for share, yep. Mm-hmm, and they're facing cost pressures due to commodity inflation, labor costs. Those are impacting margins. Um, their margins are also being impacted by a massive investment in the workforce that they're, they're, they're planning. China, which is actually a big business for them, is, is, has been weak due to the COVID resurgence there. Um, the good thing, though, is they've ha- still had strong demand from customers and their pricing power is still, pr- still pretty solid. You know, a big noteworthy thing that happened is the CEO, Kevin Johnson, re- announced his retirement April 2022. And the longtime founder and former CEO, back Howard Schultz, came. Back is back again. Came. Some, some say uh, he, never may have, he may never have actually left. He was always mm. kind of hanging around. So, you know, he came in. Um, he, he plans on serving as interim CEO until about the first quarter of this year. Um, he paused buybacks because he wants to invest in employees and stores, um, planning investments of almost a billion in 2022. Um, so there's that. And they've also been battling unionization efforts um, all across their stores in the country. So um, lots going on at Starbucks. They did confirm that Lakshman Narasimhan will be the next CEO in April 2023. That's right. So Howard only came back as just sort of an interim CEO. And we already know who the next CEO is. And he plans on um, coming in April 2023. He was the former... I saw it was April Fool's Day, in fact, on me. Ah. <laughs> This is critically important to fools everywhere. Keep That's going. That's true. <laughs> and so he was formerly the global chief commercial officer at Pepsi. Um, one thing, too, with Howard Schultz is he's always a fun person to listen to when he talks at, on calls or investor days. And they in September, they had a big analyst day outlining numerous, you know, the reinvention plan, I believe they called it, and numerous in, in, innovate, uh, initiatives store investments, more automation, new brewing machine, and and, and more, most importantly, a three-year goal of achieving 10 to 12% annual revenue growth and about 15 to 20% adjusted earnings growth. Wow. So this is interesting. You know, their margins will be, will be impacted with the big investment, all the cost pressures they're facing. So that's going to turn off maybe some investors because of slower EPS growth, earnings growth um, this year. But you know, if their investments pay off and they're able to kind of make some turns into in um, in their business, it could be something to look uh, that could be that could do well in the next two, three plus years. Well, let's hope so. I always have a heart for Starbucks. I'm certainly a Starbucks fan myself. Would love to. It's one of my stock picks here in the five stock sampler. I'm sure I'm cheering it on. Apple is was it 132 dollars a share two years ago this week? On me. 136 today, kind of a, another stock treading water right around where the the market is. Do you have any thoughts about about Apple? Well, Apple is uh, the, the thing I'm actually looking forward to with Apple is what what they actually come out with with their virtual reality headset and how that kind of, or the it's either virtual reality or mixed reality um, right headset and expected this spring or summer announcement, right? Yeah, sometime and you know Apple with the products they come out with if if it's if it's as attractive as their other products and takes that technology to another level, that'd be very exciting. Yeah, I can imagine if uh, as wearables seem to be increasingly acceptable, um, I might even say popular, at least one or two of the younger members of my family are often seen walking around with headphones on and <laughs> Strikes their grandparents as slightly antisocial, but 
increasingly, it seems like people have headphones. Then if you start, well, let's bring chat GPT back in for a sec, start bringing in AI chatbots, you can imagine what, what you're hearing through your headphones about what you should do next or what you could say to this person in response. So there are all kinds of possibilities when we think about AI chat and headphones. So it's certainly an interesting time. And I know we'll continue. I'm an Apple shareholder, have been for a long time, continue to hold that stock. Well, take all five of these together. And I'm sorry to say that as of this point, anyway, they're down 22.1% on average. That includes the very, very lows of Teladoc and the highest highs, the wimpy highest highs (laughs) of a few of these stocks. The market again, 3.8%. So this basket after two years with one year left is down 25.9 percentage points to the market. Certainly a big red number, the exact opposite of what I was hoping for two years ago. But speaking of hope, I will continue to hope that five stocks rolled up at random will prove the power, Sunmeet, of percentile dice. Geeky D&D players like me feeling like if you just get a great basket, you can randomize from that and beat the market. And again, a year from now, I'd love to be able to tell that tale. But we're going to need, Teladoc may not come back much, so we're going to need one of these stocks to catch fire. Maybe Starbucks. Maybe it's the year of Starbucks. And maybe the first time I try out ChatGPT, the first thing I'll ask is, what is the stock winner for 2023? (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite sure people are typing that in already. So, well, thank you again, Sami, for helping me review this five-stock sampler. And you have a pre-invitation to join me a year from now when the full hallow music plays, and I hope it will be a happy, happy tune. Thank you, David. All right. Well, I'm about to welcome back Asit Sharma to talk about five stocks that spark joy. We're going to go a little bit further back in time. But before we do that, Rick Engdahl, as Sanmeet and I discussed using ChatGPT to pick stocks for us, you raised your hand briefly. Why? I did, in fact, ask ChatGPT um, about some stock picks for, <laughs> for I the coming I bet you're not year. the only one. I have to imagine I'm that's sure happening not. a lot. Well, it, it, I, it um, very responsibly told me that I should uh, do my own research and <laughs> that it's not allowed to give me stock picks. So <laughs> uh, your, your job is safe right now. Brocamp, I'm not so sure because ChatGPT Chat really did give me some good, uh, good tips on personal finance when I asked. Ah. Well, I do think personal finance is probably a little bit more by the book and a little bit easier to speak to. But isn't that great to think that the chat AI bots of the future and even the present might well very responsibly be dispensing helpful personal finance advice worldwide? That sounds like a pretty good future. It it was fairly generic advice, as you can imagine. So maybe that gives bro time to focus on some more uh, discrete issues. All right. Well, strapping ourselves back in the Wayback Machine, it's time to go even further back in time. In fact, right around this week, three years ago, the day was January 22nd, 2020. I hadn't yet read Marie Kondo's book about tidying up, but I was very familiar already with the concept of the Marie method. And Asit Sharma, you and I talked about this a little bit when you visited to talk about this basket of stocks a year ago, is your house or apartment, is your home tidier than it was maybe a year ago? My home is tidier than it was a year ago, David. I am thinking that something of that conversation rubbed off on me. I am the less tidy of the pair that now lives in the house, myself and, and my <laughs> wife of many years, but I, I, I would love to do this every year. 
I truly um, started to read, actually read Marie's book in the fall. I've already talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but I am dramatically tidier right now. And so it's a delight. I'm in a room surrounded by board games, and there were too many board games in this room. There were, there still are hundreds, but there were even more than that, and they were piled up on the floor all over the I was tripping around just trying to go over to my game table to play. And now it's it's rather pristine. And the only games left on the shelves are the ones that spark joy. And that was the theme and is the theme for this five stock sampler, five stocks that spark joy. The idea is you're supposed to pick something up. And if it doesn't spark joy, toss it, give it away to somebody else, whether it's an old sweater or a stock. And what you're left with then is a sweater drawer of only the sweaters you love or a stock portfolio of only the stocks you really want to be invested in. That was the theme, the five stocks, alphabetical by company name, Asset, Amazon, Apple, Etsy, Tesla, and Walt Disney, all of which are companies three years ago, and I would still say today, three years later, spark joy for me. The theory is if you invest your net worth your lifetime savings in companies that truly do spark joy, probably not just for you, but that's important, but for the world at large, thinking of Disney, for example, I bet you're going to do pretty well as an investor. So, Asa, let's talk through these stocks because it's full halla time for this sampler. And let me say right up front that the market over these three years is up 20.1%. We'll just round that to 20%. So that's what we're trying to beat what I was trying to beat three years ago with these five stocks. Let's go to the best performer. And I'm really happy to say that Tesla, even though it's well down from its highs, was a stellar stock pick when it was selected as a company that sparks joy five years ago. The price back then, just $37.97. Today, the stock, well, it's up over 200. In fact, today as we speak, it's up 7%. The stock at $130 a share. So, Asit, this one is more than a three-bagger. What's been going right for Tesla? Well, David, the major thing that's been going right for Tesla is that it's reaching the production scale that, for a long time, management had predicated their success on. They opened their uh, Shanghai factory, Gigafactory. Uh, they have Gigafactories now in Austin, in Berlin. So this is a company which has the capacity to sell all those vehicles that they always posited to shareholders was a key for their success. That's one thing that's been going very right for them. The other thing that I'll mention is they continue to be fiercely innovative in their manufacturing, um, a very automated company. So they have extremely high operating margins, much higher than a typical big automaker. So those things I think, are in their favor as we even look forward uh, beyond this year. And it's funny to be talking about what's going right at Tesla Asset because you and I, understandably, are taking the three-year view for this stock because that's when it was picked and that's what this sampler is all about. But wow, Tesla is well down from its recent highs. I mean, just as recently as mid-September, it was at $300 this year. It's just at 130 now. Less than a year ago, it was triple where it is today. So we're talking about a company in many ways under siege, a CEO regarded by many as a little bit of a loose cannon, and that might be saying, at best, 
Uh, I continue to be generally an Elon Musk fan. I'm grateful for his existence and the many companies that he's scaled for good, I think, over time. And yet, he's never been my five-star CEO type, a little bit of a wild man from my standpoint, but we've benefited mightily from buying and holding Tesla stock over a long period of time. Do you have any thoughts either about the state of Elon today, or do you use Twitter, Asset, or what do you think about Tesla over the next year? Uh, I'd like to take sort of a stab at all three of those questions maybe in one go. I mean, the first is that Elon Musk is someone who's always had an appetite for exploring new things, jumping into new ventures. And part of his new persona is not just taking on this latest venture in Twitter, but it's also uh, getting out a little bit more in the public sphere, using this big social platform to express views that before uh, really weren't the concern of people who might buy the Tesla brand. Having said that, I think the outcome for Tesla, the stock, is still pretty rosy. Again, if you take that three to five to seven year view, whether this is going to be merely a good investment from here or great investment, I think will be uh, directly correlated with the amount that Elon Musk chooses to focus on Tesla, how much it sparks joy for him. And he decides, maybe I'm tired of uh, running this company, Twitter, that isn't a company that sparks my need to, to innovate on the manufacturing side. There is also some investor angst in uh, Tesla, the, the more recent term, over price cuts the company has been uh, you know, putting through on its vehicles as competition ramps up. Saw around that. Yeah, yeah. From, from other EV makers. But I do want to say there's something in this, again, if you're looking past this year, that potentially is beneficial to Tesla. And and that is that manufacturers, automakers look at something called cost volume profit analysis. So to them, it's like if I sell enough cars to cover my base of fixed cost, then eventually I'm making incremental profit on every car I sell. And and that's the world of the big automakers. This is the world that Tesla is now entering because it's reached that scale. It's actually not so unusual to see them now having to adjust sale prices as competition ramps up. Over time, they're going to be uh, poised to take more market share. I don't know if they'll ever be the undeniable category leader, but... Probably not, don't you think? I mean, I, I, I was seeing, Asit, that electric vehicles in 2022 comprise 10% of global sales. That's for the first time, by the way, obviously well up from just the year before. But as this, as the whole industry goes electric, I can't imagine that there's going to be just this one dominant player, but it does seem as if everybody's trying to catch Tesla. Even its installed network of chargers seems so beyond most, not just of any competitor, but the whole competition. It's going to be really interesting to watch, but neither one of us thinks this is a winner-take-all industry. Am I right? You're correct. (laughs) And I think there you have it. It, Tesla can be a very good investment from here in, in an increasingly crowded marketplace. It could still be a great investment, though, if Elon Musk gets back to his knitting and says, I want to make this more than about electric vehicles and see what kind of manufacturer I can make out of this company. That Mm. would be something different. We shouldn't count on that. uh, But I think both scenarios are fine for people who have the stock and are are holding for that long-term period. Awesome. Thank you, Asa. Well, let's go from the best performer, Tesla, up 246% versus the market's 20. So we start with a big plus 226 in the win column. From that, we go to the worst performer here. I'm really sorry to say it's Disney. 
Disney was $144 a share three years ago. It's at 100 today. Companies lost just about a third of its value, down 30.3%. Again, with the market up 20, that means Disney is 50 percentage points behind the market averages. What has not been going so right at Disney? It's interesting you should ask, David. Today, uh, Disney came out with an investor presentation to sort of refute the claims made by an activist investor. And one of the things they pointed out was almost, hey, doesn't everyone remember? (laughs) There was a global pandemic and that hit our business model because part of that business model rests on theme parks. So that cut into operating profits. And at the same time, as we all know, Disney made the big leap into streaming services, which wasn't as easy a transition uh, as some thought. But over time, as the world goes back to normal, and now we have Bob Iger coming back for a two-year stint to write the ship, I think the various components that have always worked very well for Disney are going to come together. The brand and the intellectual property of this company is sort of second to none. So I feel good about this making a bit of a comeback. Now, maybe not in time for the end of this basket, but feeling pretty positive on its prospects from here. Well, it's it's a reminder, having just talked with Son Mead about Howard Schultz riding back in on his white horse to briefly take charge of Starbucks again before handing off the reins to someone else. I don't know whether it was the pandemic or declines in share prices, especially over the last 18 months, or the activists who sometimes show up in the face of those, but we're seeing some of the well-known CEOs ride back in and take charge again in order, well, these are long-term-minded players, so I don't think they're just trying to save their stock price in the near term, but they are trying to right the ship in some cases, and Starbucks is, is actually up over the last few years. Disney, though, very much not. So I regret to say it's 50 percentage points, as I mentioned, behind the averages. Good news, we had a plus 226 with Tesla. Let's look through the other three briefly, take them one at a time based on reverse order of performance. In other words, our second worst performer after Disney was Amazon. Now, this is a company that I've used extensively through the pandemic. I've Bought and held the stock for a long, long time, and I plan to keep doing that, Asset. But Amazon, three years ago this week at 94, this week at 96. So it's up 2%. It's been volatile up and down and down recently, kind of like Tesla, but just 2% over three years. The market again up 20. So Amazon, 18 percentage points behind the market. There are not that many three year periods uh, under Jeff Bezos, or in this case, not entirely anymore under Jeff Bezos, where Amazon underperformed. This is this has been one of them. It's very interesting that it, over that same period uh, in which Andrew Jassy took over the helm of Amazon, Amazon doubled its physical footprint for its fulfillment and distribution. Wow. It took them 25 years to build the first iteration, two years to double it. Just incredible scale. Yeah. And I feel this is going to pay off for them. All of the expenditure, capital expenditure that they've committed to over the past few years has sort of obscured the fact that they've now sort of finished this big footprint and they will reap the rewards. If you look at their free cash flow, that free component I think is going to come back as now they move into maintenance mode on that network. I've seen some projections as much as $78 billion in free cash flow for Amazon in 2026. This is an underappreciated part of their story. I think investors will look at that free cash flow in a few years and wonder, for those who don't, why don't I own this? And we will see some periods of outperformance. 
Yeah, this is a company that surprisingly, anyway, to me, given its outstanding performance for the most part, but it dropped below the $1 trillion market cap mark. It's now back into just 12 digits, not 13 anymore, Asset. Uh, $972 billion for those playing the market cap game show at home. So Amazon, an underperformer. The other two, I'm happy to say, both have beaten the market and at least one of them quite substantially. Let's next go to Apple, which is performer number three here among the mix of five. Apple up 71% over the last three years, the market up 20. So Apple well up over the market. Any thoughts about one of the more talked about companies? I love this uh, one big picture thought. In the last fiscal 12 months, Apple had 78 billion sales of its services. And David, it only had 22 billion of costs against those services. So that mm. 56 billion differential paid in gross profit paid for all of Apple's overhead for its entire business. It had about $5 billion left over. You throw in the, the production side, the, the part of the business that is oriented towards product, and you see just how much potential it still has. And I, I briefly want to say this looking forward. Today, as we're taping, Apple rolled out new MacBooks with its own M2 chips, next generation of chips. It is designing its own cellular modem chips, so it'll be less reliant on Qualcomm in about three years. It's moving production out of China into India and Vietnam. All these moves are operational moves. So Apple has been gearing up for its next phase of growth in a very thoughtful manner. And if you're doing such operational tweaks, who do you want pushing those forward? But one of the mm. best operational minds on the planet in Tim Cook. So I think, again, some underappreciated strengths of Apple that we'll see mature over a two to three, four-year period. You know, having just talked about this company a little while with Sunmeet, where Apple over the last two years was up 3%, and Unexciting also ran, really just sort of where the market's been. You just dial it back one year, all of a sudden we're talking about this wonderful winner up 70% against the market's 20. So all of the alpha didn't occur this year or last year. It really showed up um, between years three and two ago. So it's it's just a great reminder, I think, that we can't really know timing. I think I've always tried with each of the samplers just to find excellent companies that fit my themes. There's never any forensic ability, I think, on my part or intention to like pick it at the right moment. But it's funny to think about how differently I regard Apple in this five-stock sampler versus the one we just talked about that's simply one year of duration less. It does remind you of where some of these stocks might go over the next year up or down, and we've seen both. It is kind of fun to note that Apple has a $2.1 trillion market cap, so more than twice the overall market cap of Amazon. I tend to think of them as kind of similarly sized, but at this point, and I really like what you pinned down on there, Asad, the service side, the software side of this business, um, it's not to say Apple's no longer a hardware company. It is even more so probably than it was certainly 10 years ago. It's just that they added a huge new arrow to their quiver or maybe a quiver to their quiver when they shifted towards software and services. And, and we're seeing now the incredible benefits of that thinking played out over not one year or two, but over the long term and the benefits for shareholders. Absolutely. Well, if Apple's the third best, and it was up 70%, and Tesla was the best, up 246%, somewhere in between is an excellent company, and that would be 
ticker symbol ETSY Etsy, which three years ago was at 50. This week, it's at 133 and a half. Stock up more than two times in value, up about 166%. Asset, were people buying more from Etsy during the pandemic? They were, David. That buying has cooled, but maybe not as much as people would expect. Uh, the CFO of Etsy said something at an investors conference recently that really caught my attention, Rachel Glaser. She said there are 100 million items sold on Etsy, so 5 million sellers, 90 million buyers, 100 million items sold. For the most part, these 100 million items are special handmade things. It's just amazing. This is a unique company that, like Tesla, is operating at scale now. It's reached scale in its industry. Last quarter, they had $3 billion in gross merchandise volume. Now, the company posted this big loss because they took a huge write-down on Goodwill for acquisition of some other platforms they had made. Uh, Depop was one of those. So they haven't had a perfect track record, but I think investors are seeing beyond all that and just seeing how sticky this platform is. Speaking of weird time periods, shares are down 49% year over year, but they yeah. in the in the last six months after this huge trough in July, the shares are up 63%. So that's how it comes in at the end with that performance. And I think, wow, in an inflationary environment where everyone is hyper-focused on what the consumer is going to do, for there to be so much confidence in Etsy uh, on the part of investors, I think shows that many investors are realizing how special this platform is and how buyers tend to stick around. I know you shouldn't ever take anecdotal evidence and extrapolate that as investment <laughs> guidance, but I believe my family has bought more on Etsy this past year. I've maybe grumbled about how much uh, been any year past, even as I've, I've also been shocked by the price of, of eggs going up. I, I still bought more items and maybe a, a bigger dollar volume from Etsy over the past trailing 12 months. Well, I love love hearing that. Certainly as a, a long-term fan of Etsy, this company, uh, the volatility that you're speaking to us at, again, I'm glad you're underlining that these are very unusual times. To so think that the stock was around a year ago at 300 and today we're kind of smiling and celebrating it at 133. So for some of us, we feel like this stock's been cut in half. But if you bought six months ago with the stock somewhere around 70, you've practically doubled your money in this stock. Now, we're not about the last six months. We're not about the last year. In this five-stock sampler, we're about three years. And really, for most foolish investors, that's an absolute minimum. That's how I think about three years. But the game we're playing of three-year five-stock samplers gives you a much longer viewpoint. And there you see Etsy hovering at 50 a share three years ago. So more than a double today for a company that, yeah, I agree with you. I said, I think one of the great strengths of Etsy is I've always described it as Amazon proof because the things you buy on Amazon, other people can buy on Amazon. And sometimes they're offered other places. The things you buy on Etsy, maybe only you got to buy that on Etsy and maybe no other platform has those things. You know, just checking the Wikipedia page, Josh Silverman, the CEO, I'm seeing he quit his job at ADAC Labs in 1998 to work full-time on building what would become Evite. How often do we notice, especially among internet CEOs, this kind of ability to start one thing and then transition it to something else? Shopping.com, eBay. He was also the CEO of Skype. Anyway, today, Josh Silverman, the CEO of Etsy. 
Anyway, it's it's a great long-term business story. It's been a wonderful rule breaker stock for many. And yet, you know, $300 a share somewhere late last year, you're not that very happy with your Etsy right now. That's true. But, you know, they, they're showing something that I really like, very Marie Kondo-like, uh, very Pareto principle-like. They're focusing in on the sellers that sell the most and helping them to succeed more in the platform. So I think they're undergirding that, those that bought at that level. Will it take some patience for you to see your investment come to par? Probably, but they're doing the right things so that you can feel reasonably assured that over a long time, you'll be able to come back at even. Of course, you can't predict what it will do from here, but certainly has all the elements to keep growing. Well, we're here to remind everybody listening that even though this five-stock sampler is coming to an end, these are stocks to hold. And indeed, each of these stocks in Motley Fool Services were recommended at prices well lower than the ones we I'm picking from three years ago. So this is the way to make money as an investor, to find great companies and hold them over long periods of time. And so I trust and hope anybody who owns any of these companies, whether it was three years ago when you heard this podcast or you've held it less than that, I hope you'll hold it much longer going forward. Us that you and I are both agreeing. I, I saw you nodding earlier. These are companies, these are the kinds of things you should be filling up your portfolio with to return to the theme, companies that spark joy for you and for many, many others. I look at these companies, I feel joyful. Sometimes it's a sort of a latent joy. <laughs> When the market's down, and I see their positions have uh, gone into the red. But over time, when I project forward, I mean, this is a basket of companies that I just feel so optimistic about because each of them is, wow, innovating within its field, creating new products and services, making people happy, making consumers happy. So I, I still think this has some mileage left of, in it beyond where the scorecard ends. All right. Well, speaking of the scorecard ending, technically, this one doesn't end as of this podcast coming out as it does on Wednesdays, in this case, Wednesday, January 18th, because we have to let a full three years play out, and that means through Friday. So by the end of the week, we'll put the final numbers out. I'll put them out here for now. For now, this five-stock sampler, five stocks that spark joy, averaging a 90.9% return, those five stocks, versus the market's 20.1%. So we are way, way up 70 percentage points plus for this five-stock sampler. It sparks joy, Asit, for me to think that that's how things played out, especially given how really difficult the market has been. Many of these winners, half where they were a couple of years ago in some cases, and yet look how it's done. I will say this. We're not going to play the Fool Halla music because we can't officially send this one off to Fool Halla until we get to the weekend. So on next week's Mailbag... We will play the Fool Halla music. Asad, I hope you'll still be listening on next week's Mailbag so you can hear and maybe get a little emotional as we watch Five Stocks That Spark Joy ascend. I can't not listen, David, because I'm an emotional guy and I love closure. <laughs> <laughs> well, closure is coming next week. It was a lot of fun to watch these companies perform through some of the strangest and in some cases most difficult investment years I can remember. Let me thank again Sanmeet Theo and Asit Sharma once again for their intelligence, their efforts to track these companies and keep us informed about what's happening. Asit, any final takeaways as you think about the KonMari method, about sparking joy, or about the future? 
I think the future is going to be one in which we find joy in unexpected places. We're at the beginning of a new year. I'm seeing a lot of fun things, investment in uh, great places from digital healthcare to electric taxis, just a lot of concepts that in the future are going to be joyful experiences. So I'm optimistic. I know the market has us all feeling a, a little ill at ease as of late, but a, a little positive start to the new year. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I think the market's going up this year, and that's at least how it's started. Asad Sharma, thank you. You and I talked off air uh, about ChatGPT, and did you commit to me at some point in the next three months to sign up for free, by the way, and start using the service? I did, David. I'm going to stop this vicarious thrill business of watching people talk about their experiences on Twitter and go ahead and sign up and use it myself. You know what I've really benefited from? So sometimes I have these friends, maybe you, dear listener, maybe you, Asa Charma, have these friends too, who send you really long things. Like they may have sent you their three-page holiday letter about what happened in their lives or the five-page PDF of their recent insights. And it turns out you can copy and paste large blocks of text into chat GPT and say, summarize this for me. And in a paragraph or two, it is a much more efficient way to hit the highlights without going all the way through that five-page PDF. So there's at least one practical use, Asset, that you can begin enjoying if you have such friends. I feel like there's a devious usage in there. (laughs) Dear X, here's what I loved most (laughs) about those 11 pages you sent me. You know, as long as you read it and agree with what ChatGPT came up with, I would say, yeah, hit the send button. Game on. (laughs) All right. Well, a reminder, we can't actually officially close five stocks that spark joy until the weekend. So on next week's mailbag, I will give you the final numbers. Now, a reminder, next week is your mailbag. RBI at fool.com is our email address at RBI podcast. You can tweet us on Twitter. Love to have you join me with an interesting question, a valuable thought, or maybe a short poem on next week's mailbag. In the meantime, pull on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.